from American Awakening, this is Signs of Life. Hello, 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 America. It is the American Awakening Squad coming to you from all around the country, bringing you faith, hope, love, light, life, uh, and a good word from God through us to you that you are meant for this time. You're meant to overcome. You're meant to get through. You're meant for something special. And that's why we show up every single day to tell you that, uh, because uh, we love you. We pray for you. We're thinking of you during this crazy corona and other social cultural news time. So good to be with you here today. And I'm going to go to Josh Jacob to bring us in with a little bit of worship. What do you have for us, Josh? God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You wear my help and strong. Give me wisdom to know just what to do. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I will Sanctuary 
Thank you so much. So uh, we won't uh, fake you all out and go to Joel Searby or Dan Hazeltine for a uh, daily dose. Instead, we're going to go straight to Jeff Bethke for something to chew that. on. All right, here we go. Yes, glad to be back. Uh, something to chew on. Simple thought for today. And I think I've mentioned this briefly over the you know past 11 weeks, just here and there in Nuggets, but I want to just spend a minute or two on it. And that's kind of taking us way back to what I consider mostly is usually a Christmas verse, usually a Christmas theme, but I think it's something that can speak to us outside of even that season. And that's this, this first chapter of John, right? Specifically down around verse 13, 14, 15. Um, well, the beginning first says in the beginning was the word. So John's kind of collecting this huge vision to start off his book, right? Because each gospel writer, while they're writing about the same person, they're all... And I don't say they put spin on it in the sense of not true, but they're all putting their own flavor on the text. And John's trying to compel this very large vision that, and it kind of have this, this Genesis echo of who was in the beginning, that God, that creator God that spun everything into existence, the heaven, the earth, and the goodness, and the Eden, and the, the mandate to rule and reign and bring order and beauty out of chaos. He kind of conjures that up in the first couple of verses. Then you get down just down less than 10 verses later, pretty much. And then he says, and that same word, that same thing I just conjured up has now become flesh and dwelt among us. And then he goes on to say, dwelling in grace and truth and all these different things. But that little phrase that that this word became flesh and dwelt among us, it's so potent, it's so packed with all the imagery of Genesis that's going on there. But on top of that, that word dwelt uh, literally is just the Greek word for tent or tabernacle. And I just think what a beautiful thing or what a needed message we read right now that, man, the Christian message is particularly unique and powerful and that it is saying that the God of the universe has put on flesh and tabernacled or tented among us. One way I say that to my kids is I always say like, hey guys, God God pitched his tent in our backyard. Like, are we paying attention? He's right there. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of, he's camping and he's come very close. Are we actually kind of camping with him? Are we actually understanding that he's right there and talking with him and communion with communing with him? And so that's my encouragement today is, man, have you sat in that? Have you just let that sink in for hours, days at a time? Have you chewed on it? Have you let it saturate your being that the God of the universe is not distant, is not far away? That's actually kind of a Western religionized, you know, Christian Smith version of moralistic therapeutic deism. But the Christian narrative is a God who comes close, is a God who comes near, who is right next to us. He comes close and he comes near. And that is what's amazing and beautiful about God. And that's what we need right now because he comes close in our pain. He comes close in our tension. He comes close when we need reconciliation. And that is the promise we have. And we can sit in that today. So something to chew on and back to you guys. You know, I that is, um, in fact, one of the most powerful nuggets in the whole uh Christian narrative, which is is so unusual. Our faith is so different uh, fundamentally, and it can only be achieved in incarnate ways. Um, God made flesh, communicating Himself to us in that sort of presence. And uh, and the extrapolation of that, of course, is if we uh, are loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves, that we too are being the incarnate presence of God to other people too. So it's it's the whole shooting match, right? It's the whole it's the whole storyline that we have a special faith that is different in kind. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful faith principles out there; they're awesome, uh, but we have the only one that that requires incarnation, requires flesh to be present to other people. God doing it first, us us doing it next to other people through our our express love for them. So thank you, Jeff, for for bringing that up. And I, I'll say professionally to to Jeff's question, um, I do not. I do not sit with that. I do not internalize that. I, I 
notionally understand it. I, I do. I, you know, I can wrap my brain around it. Um, but do I, do I accept it? Do I internalize it? Do I take solace in it in the right ways? No, I do not. All right. We're going to move over to Calvin and, and his regular feature. Wow. So that's happening. Calvin, what do you have for us? So grateful for all of you. And uh, today we just want to bring you a few stories of what is going on out in the world. All right, so the country's unprecedented pause uh, to slow the spread of the coronavirus has depleted sales and income tax revenue for states and in turn for schools. Preliminary estimates predict jaw-dropping state budget holes that some education funding experts warn could cost in the range of 300,000 teaching jobs. Uh, districts are scrambling to respond to a double whammy, a reduction in money from states, and an increase in costs to operate safely as the pandemic wears on. Also, for millions of Americans uh, left out of work by the coronavirus pandemic, government assistance has been a lifeline, but several key programs are about to come to an end. The lending program that helped millions of small business uh, businesses keep workers on payroll will wind down if Congress does not extend it. Eviction moratoriums that are keeping people in their homes are also expiring in many cities. One bright spot is that the House voted overwhelmingly on Thursday to give businesses more time to use the money borrowed under the Paycheck Protection Program, which offers forgivable loans to small businesses to retain and rehire their workers. And lastly, Minneapolis is, uh, is literally on fire. Protesters set fire to Minneapolis, uh, the third district police station on Thursday which is in the section of South Minneapolis where George Floyd was killed. A police spokesman confirmed late Thursday that staff had evacuated the 3rd Precinct Station, the focus of many of the protests, in the interest of the safety of their personnel shortly after 10 p.m. A live stream video showed the protesters entering the building, where fire alarms blared and sprinklers ran as blazes were set. The National Guard tweeted minutes after the precinct burned that it had activated more than 500 soldiers across the metro area. But elsewhere in Minneapolis, thousands of peaceful demonstrators marched through the streets calling for justice. According to authorities, luckily there were no reports of injuries. And across the country, people are taking to the streets. In New York City, protesters defied uh, New York's coronavirus prohibition on public gatherings Thursday, clashing with police while demonstrators blocked traffic in downtown Denver. Uh, a day earlier, demonstrators had taken to the streets in Los Angeles and Memphis as well. So there you have it, a few stories of what is going on out there in the world. Now for our discussion question of the day, over to you, Marissa. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you, thank you. And hello to everyone out there. Uh, so yesterday, Bloomberg published an article titled, This is How Deeply the Coronavirus Has Changed Our Behavior. The article is pretty long. Um, there's a lot of charts. There's a lot of points um, that they go to. It, it reviews a lot of different metrics, including unemployment, uh, the collapse in demand for fuel, the rapid adoption of telehealth, and the surge in alcohol purchases. Just a few of the things that they mention are, uh, of course, with massive job cuts around the world, that the outlook um, is bleak for the world's workers, including those who are in countries that are really looking to replace those jobs with automation, so not even people anymore. 
Uh, the second thing that uh, was pretty big that they noted was as businesses close, there is a widespread decline in working hours. So people all over the place have way more to do with their time for better or worse. Um, and I guess 53% of women are actually in the sectors that are deemed to be at risk of high to medium impact uh, from the pandemic. And that is compared to 44% of men. And the third one uh, that I noted was that liquor stores have seen a surge of more than 30% since March, and that's the biggest monthly rise since January of 2011. Now, beyond those points, uh, again, like I said, long article, lots of points. Uh, go check it out if you'd like. But beyond those points, the thing that stayed with me the most was um, the final sentence at the conclusion of the first paragraph of the article, which says that we are in a new economy built on fear. Now, I know we can look around. We all see a lot uh, that is making us afraid, or at least could make us afraid. Um, but folks of faith, especially those of us who are following any sort of biblical traditions, uh, it sort of screams out from the word over and over and over again, fear not, fear not, fear not, do not be afraid. Um, and we're people who are called to champion faith over fear, regardless of what our circumstances look like. Uh, but with all of it raging around us, the fears that are acknowledged and the unacknowledged ones and the ones that are sanctioned and the ones that aren't sanctioned, all the stuff that's there, it's all impacting our mental health, our relationships with one another, and uh, really the state of our world. So guys, as folks of faith um, who are repeatedly encouraged over and over and over again, do not fear. How do we resist it right now? Uh, there's a lot that's burning and a lot of people could probably use even something just as small as a small tip. How do we do it? I mean, the thing I think of is at some level, everyone's saying do not fear, but what's the reasoning everyone uses? I don't know if this all makes sense, but like, you know, a lot of culture says, you know, don't fear because you have all the facts or don't fear because you're in a certain narrative or don't fear because you're in a certain tribe or or at least we try to compel fear away and give, you know, security and comfort or whatever in certain ways, right? Certain news outlets, certain things. And so Jesus isn't unique in that he says, do not fear as well. And in fact, you know, like we talked about before, he's one of the, he, he says it so much, but what he is unique in is that his answer to why you shouldn't fear is because of his presence that he gives, meaning like his solution to the do not fear is so much stronger and more compelling than anyone else's reason for do not fear. So that's just something I'm chewing on today. Of like, what, is that, what does that mean? Why is his, his reasoning for do not fear, why is it more compelling? How does it transform us or form us in a different type of way, you know? That's just something I'm thinking on. Well, no, I, I love that, quite honestly, you, you tied, it back to, tied it back to something to chew on. Um, yeah. the, don't fear because of incarnation. Um, yeah, exactly. If you're never really alone and all the yeah. power of the universe exists right with you all the time, if all those other things are true, don't fear. Yeah. Well, a lot of us are trying to drive out our own fear. Yeah. With so many other things that are kind of cheaper, flimsier, not, not, don't get us, don't fully get us there. Yeah. Well, and so really, again, in this moment, is that, is that one of the things that's been keeping you grounded? I mean, again, it, it really could just be as basic as like saying over and over again, God, you're here, listening to worship, saying, God, you're, you're here. Is that what's grounding you now in the staying out of fear? Yeah, I feel like for us, yeah, certainly. Any any type of, because like, like we've mentioned before, I think we're all liturgical creatures and animals. So we're all liturgically either fearing or not fearing, meaning like we're doing little, small, tiny practices every single day that just keep pounding a certain formation into us, you know? And so you kind of need an anti-formation, you know, or an anti-liturgy to the cultural ethos. And so, yeah, sometimes it is just that because you're doing that in the wrong way, you know? 
you know, people are being fearful, having these narratives run to them, conspiracy theorists and all these things every couple seconds and buying into them in the same way that like uh, we're saying to do the opposite, but with good news. So, yeah. Mm, that's good. Brother Dan. Well, this, this, the whole idea of fear to me always tends to lead me back to, to the idea of isolation, like as, as really it, it's the symptom afterwards or the, the result of being afraid. You know, we make all kinds of agreements with the world the way we think it should be, the way, you know, we make agreements with God as to where he shows up and where he doesn't, where he's allowed to go, where he's not, you know, uh, where God actually lives and moves. We, we make all those because we want to feel a sense of certainty, a sense of security. Like Jeff was saying, that idea of security really matters. And what it ends up doing, though, is it ends up forcing us to plant flags and then we're left to either defend those flags from other people that disagree with us or just completely isolate ourselves from any possible idea that could combat that agreement. You know, like we say, God doesn't show up here. And then someone comes along and says, oh, actually, you know, I, I just experienced God showing up in this place. Now a person, you know, all of a sudden that's going to, that's going to destroy somebody's sense of worldview, someone's idea of faith or religion. And so I, I really feel like the reason we're not allowed, we, we shouldn't be fearing is because it's constantly creating this divide between us and other people. Um, because what we want is that security. And, and it's really a myth that we don't get that kind of security. Like, it just isn't going to be in our world. We have to be able to hold things open-handed and stop kind of planting our flag or claiming our ground. Uh, and that, that to me is where it is part of the division we see in our world today is just people have made a lot of agreements because they want the world to be a certain way. They want God to work in a certain way and he doesn't. So I think for me personally, one of the ways that I think I resist living in fear is actually going backwards. Um, something that we talk a lot is about resilience, right? And so what are the victories that we've won in the past? You know, I, I think about the story of David and Goliath. And for those who are not familiar, there's this middle school kid who volunteers to take on a guy bigger than LeBron. Says like, no, I'll, I'll take him. And the way he's so confident, again, and I know uh, Malcolm Gladwell will say that he already knew that he was going to win the fight, but I personally would be pretty scared and terrified if I had to go up against LeBron. But he knew that he would win is because he had faced lions and tigers and bears before and wolves. And so he knew the weapons that he had and he knew that he knew what the Lord had given him and he knew that with, with the things, the tools that he had, the Lord could bring victory. And so because he tasted victory in the past, he could trust in the Lord to bring victory in the future. And so I think in that same way, I think there's something about, okay, there is a fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of the uncertainty. But the Lord has come through for us in the past, um, whether that's in your life personally that you can think of. And even on kind of a larger scale, he came through enough for us that he would, he would give his son for you. You know, there's a verse in scripture that says, like, if he would give his son for you, then what else could get in his way? What would get in his way from giving you life, the fullness of life? And so in that same sense, if he would go to that measure um, for us, then I think I can be confident, or at least I can at least stand up to fear saying like, no, my God is so for me that X, Y, and Z, that um, I can be more secure in what's coming, even in the unknown. I mean, we all know this past week, these weeks, Corona and everything, right? Who wouldn't just, you know, give everything or at least most things for a taste of what it was like 11 weeks ago? 
right? I, I don't know. Everything has shifted. But it, it's it's interesting. I, I just feel like um, we're constantly faced with this question of like, will you shrink back? Will you sit down? Will you Will you let fear kind of have its way with you? And just real talk, I mean, thank you, John. You've been, you you kicked us off by sharing a personal thing. I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm sure a lot of other people do too. Just personally, I, I feel like I'm just at this place where like, I'm just kind of tired of like all the things that are just trying to make me more and more afraid. Tomorrow is not promised. We all know that, we see it, maybe some, maybe now more than we ever have. I mean, really, if I got like the minute in front of me, I'm not going to let this minute sap whatever potential there could be for me to actually like do something positive. I'm thankful because I feel like it, it is because of the incarnation of God that there is even that ability to kind of choose. You know what? If it's, it, if it's today and it's going to either be me and the things of God or that and, you know, the fear of the enemy, uh-uh, that's not what's going on my tombstone for the last day. So um, um, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that um, that we all have a choice, you know, and that by the grace of God, the courage to to choose to keep fighting is, uh, is something that is so God. I'm thankful for that. You know, all of these uh, biblical injunctions, everything Jesus told us um, had to do with Love casts out fear. Well, it's not because, well, it's a complicated sort of spiritual principle, but you know, when you know you're loved and you know you're okay, you're not afraid, right? Um, When you're thinking, when you realize that God takes care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, well, you're not afraid. When you know who you are and you got the minute you got and you got the God of the universe with you, you're not afraid. When you realize the God of the universe is immediately present with you, as Jeff talked about before, you're not afraid. And you know, that's the storyline, right? That there's no, there's nothing else. Um, there's nothing else. Right? Over and over and over again. It, it's true. It, it might seem like a thing, but you start rattling that off and it's like eventually, okay, look, I, either I'm just going to let this day take me or I'm going to take the day. I love it, JK. I love it. Well, it's time for a movie line and some music, I think, right? And this, I think this so. movie line is really good on this point. I know. And this one caught me by surprise, too, because I, uh, I like, I love Will Smith. I've seen literally almost every movie of his. This is one of the only movies I haven't seen. I was like, oh, this is good. So I'm seeing this clip for the first time, even though I, I read it as well. So, yeah, let's show uh, Will Smith in After Earth. Fear is not real. The only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of of our imagination, causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. Do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. Danger is real. true. You know, I think we may have just seen the one reason or like the one takeaway from that movie. That line. Is it like an 18% good. on Rotten Tomatoes or something? And that was the 18 right there? Do you know? I won't say anything more. I don't want to malign anything attached <laughs> to, to Will Smith, but I think you saw the best part of that. That's <laughs> amazing. All right, Josh, come on. This is too good of a song. I have climbed highest mountains. I have wrong through the Only to be with you. I have wrong. I have crowned. 
is one of my all-time favorites, uh, and that rendition of it, JBJ, was killer. Um, so we're grateful for you. We're grateful that we had you with us today. We're grateful for the squad on the air here. We're grateful for Josh Jacob bringing us home with, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you know, you may not have found what you're looking for, but it is there. And that was the word that Jeff Bethke gave us uh, earlier on an incarnational gospel, a God of the universe uh, that is right here with us in the time of Corona amidst the rioting, looting, fear, pain, sadness uh, of division. Uh, God is still with you there. So we wish you all the best. God bless you all and keep fighting a good fight. Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening, a campaign for the soul of America committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Searby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, and you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, 
www.americanawakening.us. Relevant Podcast Network.